Had you plead to lunging, sir? <laughs> Are you, or have you ever been a lunger? Having a beer after a hard day's work once meant putting up with a six o'clock swill. The swill is not only unpleasant, it's also dangerous. Those who like beer, and surprisingly it's still legal to like it. South Australia joins all other states in abandoning the six o'clock swill. You're tuned to the six o'clock swill with Vic Cater and Tim Blair, caught here in the midst of a rain event in New South Wales. We might talk about that in a moment. A lot else to talk about this week. The Supreme Court goes absolutely conservative, balmy, with Roe versus Wade. Hooray! Banning the... <laughs> banning the Biden government from taking any action whatsoever on climate change and a whole lot of other right-wing villainy. Anthony Albanese, Australia's new Prime Minister, once said his job was to fight Tories, meets a real Tory and falls deeply in love with him in a man-love sort of a way. <laughs> and, uh, and blockade Australia, tries to blockade Sydney, gives up. <laughs> we'll explain why. Tim, uh, how are you coping with the the weather event? I, I read in the papers that Australia's east coast, that's where we are, mm. is about to be hit with a multi-day rain event because the forecast of warning it is likely to be as... With forecasters warning, flooding is likely to be as powerful... With, with forecasters warning, flooding is likely as powerful winds and surf batter the coast a two-day rain event it's fantastic isn't it? when i was a kid we just it just used to rain mm. now it's a rain event it's fantastic and 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 we've got free tickets nick <laughs> we've got front row seats it's the best event since vivid <laughs> the, the light show it's a great weather event this one we've um we don't so much we we're, we're out on a hill here so uh we don't get uh, flooding so much on the hill but we do get waterfalls so we get an audio component as well you can hear the waterfalls from a long way away when we have an event and uh what do they call it if it's just normal weather i mean if rain is an event now shouldn't just a plain old standard july day be an event of some type uh, you know a mundane event a um a, you know steady as she goes event <laughs> Event. Well, a rain event, I think, is characterised also not just by rain, but winds and high waves. Apparently, we're going to demonstrate. Could generate high waves on the New South. Uh, that would be okay. totally unknown on the coast of New South Wales, wouldn't it? High waves. I mean, never. It's never, it's, it's never occurred. Never occurred before. That's why we have no surfers or anything like that. We've got no such thing as surf culture here. Never had surf culture, and uh, that, that that. But isn't this isn't this an example, Nick, of um, police speak creeping into the mainstream? When you know how police, at least they used to, they were given to when they were speaking in public or on camera. Coppers would generally add a few unnecessary words. I don't know what it was, <laughs> but it was you'd hear them say things like, "The vehicle left the road surface." Yes. It was one of my favourites. But weather event is cop talk, mm. right? It's, it's that same sort of thing where you try to make yourself sound, I don't know, perhaps more intelligent by using too many mm. words. Just say the weather. It's rain. That's it's right. just rain. That's right. Police are searching for people with a criminal disposition. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's, it's all about catastrophe these days. It's everything is a catastrophe, which, which leads us on, I guess, to... Blockade Australia. I don't suppose you would have been in Sydney on uh, 
Monday, I think it was, when Black Oil Australia started what they said was going to be a, a week-long para, paralysation of of Sydney. <laughs> it's going to a week-long blockade event. But it only lasted for a very short time because uh, there weren't very many blockaders. And uh, so they gave up. They gave up and abandoned their block blockade. So for, for a start, there's a truth in advertising issue. You can't just call yourself Blockade Australia and not blockade. No. I mean, that's, what are they? they, they they're just Australia now? But mm. the, my favourite one was, um, was a girl, Holly, one of the blockadists. And... Um, she spent a bit of time locked up in Surrey Hills at the cop shop there. And um, she wasn't impressed. She gave it a very poor review online. <laughs> she wrote, um, just an FYI to the Surrey Hills police station, that dry cereal and fruit is not food. <laughs> well, actually, I kind of think it is, Holly, but we'll let that slide. And she continued, and a cheese sandwich is not vegan. <laughs> Okay. Uh, she continued. She she just she she just went on and on. Um, she then complained that um, she asked to get some real food, please. Thanks. Also, like a book would be nice. Okay. What books would we suggest, Nick? What sort of books should we supply to the blockade Australia kids when they're uh, locked up for? I think she was locked up for twenty nine hours. The Bible. Well, all in all, it worked pretty well, didn't it? Because I think the police run on a sort of reverse um what's what's that site where you go on and uh, and and you, you post reviews of hotels oh there's millions of different things yeah yes. all those sort of uh rating sites yeah. there's, there's one for everything R- rate this dump.com but anyway you, you it, could, it's sort of reverse you can, of you can rate churches these days people rate churches yeah. like they'll give them f- three stars out of five you know you know crappy sermon bad pu- psalms selection Yes, if you were running any sort of incarceration institution, you know, a prison or police cells or something, you'd, you'd mm. have the same, but you would want the reviews to be absolutely terrible, wouldn't you? In the interest of yeah, fighting yeah. crime, you'd want to say to people, don't come here, that the sandwiches are terrible and there is no reading matter whatsoever. Jeez. and Don't even ask for the muesli. And, no, uh, no, there should be reading matter, but it should be... Um, let's say, not appropriate to the interests of our friends who are locked up. So for your blockaders, you'd have like Atlas Shrugged or the Bible or <laughs> if you wanted to be a total bitch about it, you'd, you'd just leave some Peter Fitzsimons books lying around just to, just to hurt, their, hurt their minds if, if they had any appreciation of grammar or syntax or prose at all. Uh, yeah, we should, um, we should maybe start up a donation thing. Some, maybe some listeners could get get a, a book wagon going and then we could uh, just uh, donate them to the Surrey Hills Police. But make sure that the titles are uh, are exactly what blockaders would not enjoy. One of Tim Flannery's, perhaps. Uh, oh, no, they've read all that. They'd, they'd, they'd rejoice in it. But, you know, maybe maybe they could eat it. See, like, they start feeding them books. That might be the, the answer to all the questions. I mean, they say that they say that Bureau of Meteorology is hopeless at predicting the weather. I don't. Have they ever read Tim Flannery? I mean, that is the worst <laughs> weather forecasts you could ever imagine. It would never, never get a Flannery again in Sydney, was it? We were going to be completely that's right without Flannery for decades as a result of that's which... why we needed all those. Um, it's, you know, that's why we've got the, the best jobs in Sydney. Uh, those incredibly lucky people who get to run the desal plant. What a great job. Wouldn't that be a great job? Put your feet up, 
look at a few dials every so often, you know, and, uh, and every decade or so you get to turn it on. Actually, no, they do turn it on every so often just to make sure it's running. So, but how would you, how would you rate people's kind of work in that job? How would you say that they're, that they're good or bad? Or how would, you, how would you know that someone's meeting their KPIs, as they say, mm. when you actually don't produce anything? You don't actually... You're not required to produce anything because we've got so much of what A lot of flannery. So much of what you're supposed to produce is falling from the sky. It's described not just as rain, but a rain event. Yeah. You're there to produce water from salt water and none yeah. of it. Absolutely zero demand for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just... But, you know, if you show up late, does it matter? No. If you show up for your shift a couple of hours late, what's, what's the point? Do you, you, could, you could show up a couple of decades late. <laughs> With the way the climate is changing, it wouldn't be a big deal. It's like, you know, do they, they have meetings and discuss, you know, come on, guys, morale's a bit down. <laughs> I'd love to, go to, love to go to the nearest pub to that to that facility in Sydney and just hang out because, you know, it'd just be full every evening. Just everyone just rocking, rocking up at, oh, no, not even every evening. They'd be showing up at 2 p.m. Yeah. Never going back to work. Be like, be like being a journo in the old days, Nick. <laughs> we almost had a few people in the office who wouldn't come back after lunch. No. Imagine the diesel plant. I mean, it's not as if it's going <laughs> to stop producing anything if they don't come back. There's no need to produce anything in the first place. Oh. Be, be like a, a mate of mine called Ray who used to run the recorded programs library at the BBC, BBC World Service. And because if you were running the recorded programs library, there wasn't a lot to do. He had like five assistants. You push a button. So if you came in and you came in and said, look, I want, you know, a Goons episode from 1954, there were like three people jumping and saying, oh, let me help you. So because so Ray used to run this joint, didn't need to be there at all. So he set up shop in the pub over the road <laughs> in the pub over the road <laughs> but because this is in the years before mobile phones so he had to be just in case somebody rang he had to be available so he got british telecom as they were then were to install a phone for him on the bar connected to his <laughs> extension work true story that's 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 brilliant pick it up Recorded programs library. <laughs> well, it'd be, be like, I think, I, I, I think it's in Louisiana somewhere or uh, one of the southern US states where there, there's no railway there anymore. There used to be a railway, but there is no railway anymore in this particular county or city or whatever. But there is still a job for a railway commissioner, and it's an elected role. Um, I have to find out about this. I think I might have mentioned this before, and I've got to dig and dig and find out which it is because you, you know, they have they have elections for this. They have you know contested elections where people try to get people to, to vote for them for a role that um, is even less worthwhile than being an executive at the uh, diesel plant. Mm. Well, it may be apocryphal, but the story goes they still do have a department of railways in Lebanon, even though they haven't had a railway since 1960. <laughs> it's just, it's once it, you have a government department, you cannot abolish it. It just simply... That's true. I, I don't know what it does, deal with it, pulling up the old rails or something. But uh, uh, look, we, we shouldn't joke about the weather uh, or climate, as as it's called. It's a serious business. And in Europe, as you know, they're, they're desperately struggling to keep the lights on because uh, they don't want to... Although they, either they don't want to buy gas from Ukraine or... 
Russia or, or from Russia or, or Russia won't sell them gas or they have to buy it in euros or something. But I was reading in the week that things got pretty bad in Poland. Authorities in Poland remind citizens that they can forage firework from forests to keep warm amid soaring energy costs in the country. So here we have a, a first world country, an industrialised country, Poland, encouraging its citizens to forage for firewood, for energy. You don't really want, in a first world context, you don't really want to see the word forage in any kind of official <laughs> announcement, do you? No. That, that's 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 sign of, a sign of some that should be concerning, but in the, in the US on climate issues, or at least uh, energy issues, parallel sort of things. CNN recently interviewed President Joe Biden, one of his advisors, a guy called Brian Deese, and the CNN host asked this advisor, "What do you say to those families that say, listen, we can't afford to pay four dollars eighty-five a gallon for months, if not years?" for fuel. And the advisor responded, this is about the future of the liberal world order and we have to stand firm. Have you heard this phrase before, Nick? Liberal world order? The liberal world order. <laughs> so, Meaning what exactly? I mean, did they... Any explanation? It's an unusual pivot from um, the Biden administration, which a few months ago was saying that these high fuel prices are ridiculous. We're going to try and stop them. It's all Putin's fault. But now they're talking about it as though it's a good thing and that maintaining increasingly expensive levels of, of basic commodities like fuel, which obviously flows into the cost of everything else, that's not anymore an issue of inflation or something that should be worrying families. It's about the future of the liberal world order. Now, people, I think, are probably more and more inclined these days to be uh, uh, prone to conspiratorial beliefs. This isn't going to help. This isn't, when, you, when they start throwing phrases around like this, that's, uh, that's going to whip up something of, of a movement, wouldn't you expect? I, I think so. By liberal, they don't mean it in the good sense. They don't mean it in the sense that Robert Menzies meant it when he set up the Liberal Party of Australia in uh, no. 1944. He, he, they mean it in the sort of lefty... I don't think a cornerstone of Menzies' beliefs was unaffordable petrol costs. No, he don't abolished... Remember, don't remember him arguing for that. He abolished petrol rationing, as I recall. So that wasn't his sort of thing. I don't think he would have had any problem whatsoever with cheap petrol, the, the, the very thing that seems to worry a lot of people on the left these days. In fact, people should actually be able to afford to fill up their car. $2.00. 49.9 cents, by the way, a litre on uh, New South Head Road this morning. No, they just can't bring themselves just to tip the dial over to that $2.50. But it will come. Don't worry about that. Oh, yes, it will. Uh, well, not that, not that this will worry some Americans, the fuel prices, because there's a new, a new climate crowd, a kind of a, you know, another variety of your blockade sort of crew. These are the tyre extinguishers. You see what they did there? Tyre extinguishers. Quite clever, isn't it? They're very smart people. I get it. Yeah, tyre. It's a pun. You see? It's like it, it rhymes. It yeah, plays yeah, the yeah, yeah, okay. Very good. They're, they're very, good. <laughs> very smart people. So their, their gig is to go around of an evening selecting cars that they don't like, SUVs and such, larger vehicles, and then they let the tyres down. 
and they leave a note on the uh, the windscreen saying, you know, please don't take it personally, but you drive something that's uh, a deadly, you know, climate-destroying evil machine, and we're helping you stop doing that. And they've they've branched out to various other nations. I think New Zealand copped a few tyre extinguishers recently and a few other places. And now they've turned up in New York on the Upper East Side, which is a bit of a sort of a wealthy lefty zone. It's a very, very friendly towards Obama and Hillary and, and so on. Now, this is left-on-left violence now. I, and I note also that they're doing it in New York rather than, say, uh, Houston or Birmingham, Alabama, where there would be consequences if someone messes with your car. Very serious consequences. You don't want to be doing that in Texas or anywhere anywhere in the South either. Immediate consequences. It wouldn't be delayed at all. Oh, no, there'd be be, there wouldn't be a lot of what you call due process. I mean, people would be processed, <laughs> but, it, but it, it wouldn't... wouldn't. I think a lot of uh, law enforcement in certain areas would be inclined to um, perhaps not pay a great deal of attention if someone was defending their property in uh, in certain areas of the mm. United States. New York, different story. But, yeah, the, uh, the tyre extinguishers, watch out for them because uh, they'll, they'll be coming for us. Australia's got a lot of larger trucks and vehicles. I wouldn't like to be caught in the act by a tradie finishing a long, long shift and finding that his large vehicle has uh, has been um, immobilised. No, particularly if he caught the, de- the deflator was there. They would be a yes. little bit... Yeah, it would be immediate form of ex- extinguishment, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. And there would be some deflation. We, we, I don't think we're quite finished with Blockade Australia. Their star act on Monday, of course, was to have some young woman with a ring yeah. through her nose and uh, uh, extraordinarily bizarre coloured short hair who drove her Toyota Camry, I think it was, up to the entrance of yep. the Sydney Harbour Tunnel, parked yep. it across two lanes, switched off the ignition and then chained her head yes, to the steering she, wheel, chained her own head to the steering wheel. She used a bicycle lock, one of those sturdy bicycle locks and... Um, there was a, a lovely photograph of her, her staring plaintively out of the window as angry motorists yelled at her from the other side. And she was very upset by the language they used. They, they, were, in, they were intemperate, Nick. They, they said unpleasant things about her to her. Did they use the wrong pronoun or something, did they? They may have assumed Probably. gender. They may have gone that far. They may well have done so. <laughs> uh, by the way, just on, on, the, on our gendering issue, uh, Variety magazine, you know, the sort of the Hollywood trade mag, recently interviewed someone who'd been attacked or sexually assaulted. There was some some issue. It was someone who worked in the film industry, and this person said that the attacker uh, described the attacker as he. He attacked me. He sexually assaulted me, and this was changed in the copy because the attacker doesn't identify as male. So they changed the actual quotes. This is from the person who was attacked. So if you're attacked, you you still doesn't give you the right to misgender the person who allegedly assaulted you. Yeah, you've got to have you've got to have some manners, Nick. These days, it's just impolite. Even if you've been attacked, you've still got to play by these new um, liberal world order rules. Let's call them. 
don't want to be you know, just recklessly throwing out the, the he's and uh, no. him's. Well, this is hit the BBC, apparently. They've had a memo round telling staff that there are more than 150 genders. That's wrong. I thought it was somewhere in the 140s. Anyway, that seems to have increased recently. And they've been urged to use the right pronoun and to identify their pronouns. Uh, to, to well, What you have to do, you have to give your own pronoun when you send an email or something. Uh, so that's hit the BBC now. That's going to be quite... Uh, I hope that doesn't get into programming. I mean, it'd be very hard, wouldn't it? I mean, how are we supposed to keep track of 150 genders? Well, what if you're uh, what if you're gender fluid, so your your pronouns keep changing throughout the day? Well, that's okay. I think the rule is you can change your your pronoun once a year. Oh, you? is that right? You can have an annual <laughs> pronoun change. Is that a? For all I know, that's probably true. I mean, why not? Why not? I, th- I, th- I think it is. Well, it's certainly true. I think in. Uh, proposed laws around the Australian passport. You can change your gender on your passport once a year. Do it more than that, though. More than once a year, you can still do it, but it will attract a fee. <laughs> <laughs> They're using it as a sort of oh, way of garnering revenue for, for people. You know, if you're really gender fluid, you'll end up paying a lot of fines. If you're just a little bit, you know, just sort of flow over every now and then, you should be okay. But... <laughs> Speaking of fines, Tim, this is how hungry the New South Wales government is for money. I I had three letters in the post the Mm. other day. I was very excited about this. Not often you get three letters these days, right, the real ones. That's rare. The first was a... uh, The first was a speeding fine. Oh, great. For doing more than 60 kilometres an hour on the the M5 tunnel where the speed had been temporarily Mm. reduced. The second was a a fine for not turning up for jury duty. I hadn't, I spoke apparently, I didn't even see, didn't see the first letter, didn't appear for jury, another fine. And a third, a fine for, and I think overseas listeners would be puzzled by why this would be a an indictable offence, but it is in Australia, a fine not for voting in the council elections. <laughs> it got me three ways. One way or another, the wow. New South Wales government stung me three times. In one post, it's pretty expensive uh, emptying your mailbox these days. Mate, some time ago, some time ago, I got a a phone call from a a distressed family member explaining that uh, my mother was very ill. She'd been taken to hospital, and I should uh, take great, uh, very, very quickly get down to Victoria to see my poor old mum. So I jumped on an aircraft. landed in Melbourne, hired a little rental car, some sort of little slow thing. It was, I think it was the last one available. And they uh, headed off towards the country to see dear old mum and uh, to get there in a hurry because time was of the, of the essence. And by the time I arrived, she was in much better spirits, I'm happy to say. She was fine. Stuck around for a couple of days, turned around, went back to Sydney. A couple of weeks later, I received a bunch of letters Seven or eight of them. The first one said I'd been done for doing 111 in a 100 zone. The second was uh, 72 in a 60, and so on and so on and so on. And then I opened the final letter and it said, uh, your licence has been cancelled for three months <laughs> for accruing too many points on your licence. So that was just great. That was, I think that was a three-month suspension. It, it really is a authoritarian 
kind of state in many ways once bureaucracy starts issuing its own fines. I, well, I, well, I, I did have I did have some advice, but I, I, I spoke to um, a friend who's a policewoman, and she said, "Look, perhaps the circumstances of uh, of your um, speeding fines, if you write a letter to the police and say, look, it was a, a, a mm. mercy mission. Uh, I was very concerned. I was trying to see my, my sickly mother. Maybe they will uh, reduce the uh, reduce the uh, penalty." So I sent a letter, and I received in response a letter that declined to give me any leeway, and uh, and they backed this up by pointing out that two of the um, fines were from when I was driving away from my mother and back to Sydney. So that you know, that that was that was I was still grieving. Come on, you know, please. But yeah, I've still got the letter somewhere. Very, very sarcastically written. Point. I thought my feeling. I think they they might have assumed gender too. It was back in the old days when you could do that and not get in trouble. What, Mrs. Blair? Dear Mrs. Blair. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> anyway, uh, Anthony Albanese he used to be, you know, rather inoffensive, but but uh, how would you describe him as op opposition leader? I mean, no, not no. the worst we'd have, but hardly the most stellar. He's now a star on the world scene, apparently. Yes, he is. And his missus. Yeah, and his missus, uh, whose name escapes me. But they're in... Uh, in Madrid for the mm -hmm. NATO meeting, uh, which I thought was a jolly good idea, by the way. It's good that we should show our colours when it comes to NATO, who are currently in the front line of defence against Vladimir Putin uh, and his invasion of Ukraine. So that's a good thing, right? But uh, Albo was there, warmly mm. greeted, I saw, by Justin Trudeau. Let's have a listen. It's uh, a real pleasure uh, to be uh, uh, meeting with uh, a, a great... Uh, progressive leader. Uh, we're really, really excited to have uh, uh, a friend in, in Australia. Australia's been a, a long-time friend, but with uh, lots going on in the world, uh, we'll be talking lots uh, with uh, with Tony and, and uh, all our friends in Australia. Now, listening to that, that sequence, you know, in which Justin Trudeau welcomes Anthony Albanese as a great progressive leader did you get the impression he didn't actually know what Anthony Albanese's name was? He didn't know the name of the Prime Minister of Australia he was just meeting. I see what. I... Yes, well, Trudeau is uh, not an impressive personality, is he? Uh, but he, he, I think he got on better with uh, Albo, that is. Got on a lot better with um, Boris Johnson. Now, this is. Uh, this is... Yeah, they, famously, they were like old friends. Has he forgotten his own vow? Remember when Albo used to say back in the Gillard Rudd Gillard days or whatever it was that uh, hard to remember the sequence these days. But back in the day, I remember him tearfully saying that he, his whole purpose in life was to fight Tories, which is a bit sad because he was in a country with none of them. So he finally meets an actual Tory, a Tory Prime Minister. That's right. And instead of fighting him, he gave him a, a rabbitose jacket. It's an unusual means of combat. Come on, Albo, get your elbows out. Have a have a go. Yeah. There's a Tory right in front of you. Yeah, I, I would have thought. I would have thought at the very least he'd open with a, <laughs> a headbutt to the nose of Boris Johnson. <laughs> follow up. Follow up with a knee to the ghoulies. <laughs> but instead, he's like, here, here, try this lovely it's... garment, Tory, and uh, gave him this um, this rabbitose gear that he. Uh, that he hauled all the way across the world uh, to um, to um, to bestow upon a Tory. I, oh, it's just it's terrible. 
he's got to he's got to rediscover his uh, his roots in the Hauso world. He's got to he's got to get back to the real elbow. But why would anybody except a, a South Sydney rugby league tragic be interested in a Rabbitohs jersey anyway? Why would anybody think that was a fit fitting gift for another world leader? And what did Boris Johnson make of it? A, a t- what, what, he seemed cheerful enough about it, it but you know, Boris is always cheerful, isn't he? He's an unusual chap. Like even when, even when his government's falling apart, he's behind the, the polls. You know, he's having to meet Albo. Even in these trying yeah. circumstances, he's always got some sort of goofy grin on his face, and you know, got the hair all askew. You know, uh, perfectly askew. It's the way it's it's trained now. It just jumps into that shape by itself every morning. How, how nice you would have thought, you know, a novelty, a novelty tea towel. Oh, I, I, I wonder what junior staffer is cleaning his car windscreen with it now. I think I've recounted the story before, true story about David Cameron, Boris Johnson's mm. predecessor, but one who uh, made some remark at a press conference about his team, Aston Villa. And uh, he got a sort of nudge from his, um, his, his assistant next door, whispered in his ear and he corrected himself. No, no. My team, West Ham. He couldn't remember <laughs> his own football team. But in his defence, of course, they do both wear. They both wear maroon and maroon and blue shirts, which used to be very similar. <laughs> so that's what he. That's what he's dealing with. That's what Elbow is dealing with. A British prime minister who probably, like David Cameron, is too busy to know his own football team. Yeah, I wouldn't be associating. Just, I've not seen too many photographs or or footage of Boris any Premier League games. It doesn't strike me as being his kind of deal. No, not his thing at all, is it? I stand, I stand to be corrected, no. But now, has Albo, we're looking at him as, as is usual when a new Prime Minister comes in. There's a, a boost in popularity. Are we looking at a, at a new internationalist elbow here, Nick? Are we looking at, a, at someone who's growing into the role as Prime Minister already? Are we looking at someone who might confound the expectations of many people who know elbow well and weren't really expecting very much? Is he, is he over-delivering? He's, he's sort of Henry Kissinger, Winston <laughs> Churchill and General de Gaulle rolled into one as yes. that kind of statesman. But he reckons that he's cracked. He's cracked a trade oh, deal yeah. with the EU, which, of course, evaded, you know, was beyond the capability of the Abbott or, or Morrison government uh, or that fellow that came in between them. I can't remember his name. Yeah, the one with the big head. Yeah. But anyway, and the Abbott government decided that multilateral trade deals were just far too hard. But there's never more than one country involved in a trade deal. You just weren't going to get it. The best thing was just to... But pick one country, cosy up, and say, "Well, what can we, what can we do trade on?" And so the EU was too hard for them. Twenty-seven countries, uh, the most awkward, awful bureaucracy. Plus, and they all hate each other. Each country, each of the twenty-seven countries gets a veto. So, but how an easy range is? They yeah. all, they all hate. They've all got their own different reason. They all hate <laughs> one another, and then they've all got their own separate reasons for hating Australia, right? So, the Italians don't want to do a trade yeah. deal with us until we stop calling sparkling wine Prosecco. Uh, the, the Greeks mm-hmm. want us to give up labelling salty cheese as feta before they'll sign it. And, and, and the German, uh, who knows, the Belgians probably think they've got a, a 
the copyright on the word beer or something. But anyway, they all want to stop yes. us doing it. It's just nuts and because nobody wants to take tariffs off lamb, milk or anything. It's basically give up, why would you bother sort of territory. But Albo Good luck. reckons that because he's agreed to legislate 43% additions reductions by 2030, that the EU has agreed to fast track, fast track our application for a trade deal with them. <laughs> how, how naive is this man? I mean, the words fast track no. and EU just simply don't go together, do they? I mean, how long has it taken Britain to even leave, to, to, to negotiate to leave the joint? You know, to say, look, we're quitting. I mean, you'd think we're quitting. OK, see you later. You know, don't let the door bang you on the bum on the way out. You thought that would be it. But no, this has been going on for years. And he's... Fast track is to the EU what locomotive is to space travel. These are just not consistent. They're not in the same universe. This is not... Nothing the EU has done is fast. And when they do do things quickly, if something is accomplished quickly, it's always negative. It's always bad. They're very good, like all governments. I mean, it is a hyper-government structure. Governments only ever accomplish bad things quickly. Good things take an eternity. Good things take... Goddamn decades. This is this deal that Albo is talking about won't occur while he is prime minister. This is just the timetable just won't fit with that. No, no, I agree. I, I, you remember his promise to deliver two hundred and seventy-five dollars off the average household electricity bill. We've got to be. I reckon that will occur before he manages this deal with the EU, uh, and that'll be a long way in the future. You know. Well, we've got to we've got to look at that because we've got a date when he said that would uh, kick in because now AGL are telling their customers that the bills are going to go up by three hundred dollars on average per household during the year. Now, Albo, mm. you've got to add that three hundred to the existing two seventy-five promise, right? Because he, he was going to bring it down from mm. whatever the previous average figures were, bring it down by two seventy five. It's gone up by three hundred, so that's that's five seventy five or so. Uh, that's going to be a bit hard to do. It's a useful saving if you can deliver it. Yes. But energy minister Chris Bowen was asked about this in the week at the press club, and he refused to sort of admit that this was a promise they were oh, no. he said he said he was confident that the government's policy would put downward pressure on prices downward pressure <laughs> so it's a little bit of a climb down isn't it really from we're going to save you 275 dollars to we're confident we will put downward pressure on prices well just just as a rule I don't think it's wise for any labor politicians to use phrases made popular by Kevin Rudd People don't want to be reminded of that time. <laughs> Especially a lot of people within Labor, of course. It's probably got more enemies within Labor than any other particular group. But, yeah, now he's, now he's talking like Rudd, is he? Are they going to start, talk, start talking about pull factors and push factors in terms of uh, our delightful and, um, and mm-hmm. uh, vibrant multicultural visitors? Our yachting enthusiasts massing off the coast. Now you're getting into programmatic specificity. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> hey, uh, the Supreme Court yes. in the United States has not been... Uh, it's obviously not recognised that there was an absolute landslide by Biden last year and the Democrats in both houses. Yep. Uh, they haven't recognised this amazing mandate. Biden has. Yes. 
and is uh, taking all sorts of decisions which uh, Biden doesn't like. First of all, Roe versus Wade. That was... Uh, let's not get into the details of that, but I'll tell you what, Biden didn't like that one, one bit, did he? No, um, as far as we can tell. It's always hard yeah. second-guessing with Biden. But this was because, I mean... It, it is complicated when we're dealing with a lot of things with the Supreme Court, but this is actually a simple one. The Supreme Court exists to rule on constitutional matters. There is no constitutional element to Roe v. Wade. There's no... Mm. It, it's So it's been vacated. The decision now goes back to state legislature. So the Supreme Court has not banned abortion, despite what you might read on Twitter and various other excitable forums. The Supreme Court has simply said, this is our job. This is not our job. Uh, this is for legislature. You go, you guys go away and figure out the rules. Uh, they've done something similar with the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA. They've said, we don't have the authority to extend the EPA's ambitious climate agenda. Uh, you go away, you make the rules. That's what you're elected for. The left in the US has been coasting on the Supreme Court for so long on these issues instead of actually f uh, delivering arguments, presenting arguments to their people and then winning that way. Mm. They've just been, they've had the sledgehammer of, of judicial power rather than uh, any kind of legislative authority that's delivered these results that they want. Uh, just get on with it. You've got, the, you've got the both houses of the presidency, go for it. Come up with your rules, present your legislation, get it passed. Exactly. This but don't just, uh, don't just leave it up to the Supreme Court. This is your moment to shine in the legislature. In the legislature, yeah, just go for it. Yeah. No, it's the the you know you, as you point out, the coverage of this was uh, incredibly uh, nonsensical, bizarre, and misleading. To say that the Supreme Court has abolished the constitutional right to have an abortion, well, wait a minute, an earlier uh, Supreme Court in error decided there was a constitutional right, yes. not because it's written in the Constitution, but through a, a method of reading the Constitution to say, well, this is what the Founding Fathers would have put in the Constitution if they'd thought about yes. it. It's just slipped their mind, so they didn't put it in. But it, they really meant to put this in, so there is a constitutional right. And so when a later Supreme Court says it's an error, mm. you can't just make up stuff yes. that you think should be in the Constitution, uh, then, then that's reported as abolished. The constitutional yeah. right. It's a. It's as if an earlier Supreme Court had said, "There is a Santa Claus." Mm. This one had said, "No, we. They. They were in error. There is actually no Santa Claus." And the headline was, "Supreme Court abolishes Santa Claus." Exactly. Yeah. The previous Supreme Court. Same logic. The previous Supreme Court used a, a Ouija board kind of method of divining the thoughts and beliefs of the Constitution's authors and took it from there. And miraculously, <laughs> when what are the odds? Nick, what are the odds that the Constitution's authors had exactly the same belief as that particular set of Supreme Court judges 50-odd years ago? Over, I mean, it's, the odds are they're astonishing. Well, anyway, everyone's going berserk about that. Uh, but I, 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 I love this EPA thing that's going to really um, make it difficult for Biden and his, uh, his liberal world order pals to complete their... Yeah. Uh, attempts to destroy the economy. He's also redefined America in one word, Nick. In one simple word, which is a hell of a hell of Should a we play the clip? Please do. America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. 
I was going to foot him. Uh, foot, foot. What was that word, Nick? Well, at least now we've got it. Asterisk forward. <laughs> exactly. America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was going to foot him. Uh, foot, foot. How do you spell that word? Well, I've, the actual, the only. It'll be like, you know, when you have to fill out a password and you're supposed to have <laughs> one capital letter, one non-capital letter. The best, the best way of spelling it, I've found, is to drink a box of wine and smash your face into a keyboard. It'll generally come up with that definition. <laughs> Joe's definition of America. America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was going to foot him. Uh, foot, foot. Yep, that's America. Yep. That's America that I know. But we shouldn't be talking about the current president because that's against the rules. The rules are, in the US media, you can only talk about the previous president, the evil orange man who... Um, you remember during the, during the election campaign in 2020 and leftists made great play of Donald Trump walking very cautiously down a ramp after some sort of speaking engagement. Apparently, it was because the ramp was mm. uh, slippery and he was just being careful. He had leather-soled shoes on. And uh, the left went into... Well, I say the left. The media went crazy because this man was plainly unfit for the job. Look at him walking so daintily and gingerly. He can't even walk properly now. But now it turns out that he's got superhuman strength that enables him to lunge from the back of a Secret Service SUV or limo, depending on who's telling the story, and rip the steering wheel from the hands of the driver, and, and at the same time, using his other hand to claw at the man's neck. Um, well, well done, guys, for making Trump sound even cooler. Great work. Cassidy Hutchinson, she was the woman who That's gave the girl. testimony yeah. against Donald Trump this week, a former... Um, tea lady or secretary or something for to uh, Mark Meadows, former chief of staff to Donald Trump. Uh, and she gave evidence that on, on January 6th, da, da, da. that day of infamy which will forever be written in the annals yep. of evil, uh, Donald Trump apparently uh, uh, wanted to go down to the Capitol Hill. Uh, his Secret Service driver said he wouldn't do it. So Donald Trump apparently... According to Cassidy Hutchinson, uh, grabbed the steering wheel, choked the Secret <laughs> Service agent, and tried to force him to drive the car down there. But because this was, you know, historic evidence, historic play of evidence, a day that would change the world forever. Yes. Um, now, what crime was committed here, Nick? Why, why, why are we hearing about this? The Secret Service guy then gets to give his evidence and says that. Trump was too big to have reached for the steering wheel. Well, except, of course, that, that evidence wasn't given, Nick, in the hearing. The hearing is just uh, monodirectional, isn't it? There's no... It's not, it's not a trial. It's not... Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, the 25-year-old the former staffer wasn't cross-examined. It's, it's, it's just an open-ended mm. uh, look over here and stop paying attention to Joe Biden. Uh, we'll, um, we'll just run a little show trial here and uh, we can all yell about Trump again, a man who has not been in power for some considerable time. But also, let's say, let's assume for the moment that the account that uh, the staffer gave is true and she only heard about it. She wasn't in the limo. She was nowhere near the events that she's mm. describing. Let's say that there's some element of truth to it. Uh, next question, Nick. So what? Well, exactly. I mean, this guy is no longer president. He... He was voted out of office and 
the current president assumed power peacefully, as has always happened in the United States. Uh, slight aberration of a civil war. <laughs> but, uh, the first. Well, I think we're going to have to start calling it the first civil war pretty soon, Nick. <laughs> yes, that's right. The first. Yes. The, the minor civil war, the real one. I mean, our, 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 our grandparents' generation had to um, obviously get used to referring to what was earlier known as the Great War. It became the First World War after, after events transpired in 1939 and beyond. So we might be doing that with the US Civil War. Like we're talking about, you know, CW1, the one that ended in 1865, and uh, we'll pick up uh, where that left off pretty shortly. Who knows? I don't know. You're right. I mean, in the end, there's a midterm election coming up later this year, and uh, Donald Trump is history. Whatever you think of him, people have made up their minds one way or another. Do you do you really think any of this is going to save the Democrat skins? Well, you wouldn't think year? so. I mean, you've got senior staffers out there talking about liberal world orders. No. You know, that's, uh, that's not going to help. It's... Uh, <laughs> It is extraordinary, isn't it? That they—I love the way that the left will seize on inconsequential things and just repeat them as though this, by simple repetition, it's going to—it's going to make them more powerful. So, this lunging for the steering wheel. Well, it's lunging at a steering wheel. Let's say it happened, and look, okay, let's assume he did. Whatever, as if that's a big deal. He lunged at a steering wheel at one point. This is not. There's, I can't, don't know that there's a law about steering wheel lunging. Perhaps there's some obscure statute and God knows where, but steering wheel <laughs> lunging and, I mean, it's it's similar to the, the shooting trial during the 2020 riots when um, uh, the kid was uh, who uh, defended himself and was found not guilty of the riots in uh, Wakija, what was the place, uh, wherever it was? And leftists mm-hmm. simply repeated over and over again that he'd crossed state lines, as though that was the end of the matter. That that was an establishment of guilt. Like I even had friends say, "Tim, he crossed state lines." <laughs> like, and and again, this was always undone by the simple two-word question: "So what?" They don't have a lot to go. Once once you ask well, that, if that what? question stops you in your tracks, you don't have a lot to go with. It should be asked a lot more. That question in in media circumstances. It should be maybe the first question asked after every uh, premier and uh, prime ministerial press conference. Well, so what? Crossing state lines should not be against the law. It isn't. Except in WA, of course. (laughs) Western Australia, of course, for two years during COVID. But anyway, how quickly we've forgotten about that, by the way, Tim. Crossing state lines used to be an offence. In order to stop the spread of the virus... We were going to have a vaccine to stop mm. the spread of the virus. So in the two years we were unvaccinated, mm. half a million people yeah. caught this wretched thing. In the six months since we've all been vaccinated, <laughs> eight million Australians, one third of the population has caught this Look, thing. Just about everyone I know has got it. The vaccine is working how? Oh, it's working great, yeah. yeah. Uh, just about everyone I know has had it or has got it currently. And, and there is a bit of a kind of a, a yeah. movement, social media-wise, that we should be all masking again and... People are getting a bit, you know, missing their rules a bit too much and they want them back. So keep an eye on that. Uh, we might have, um, the word mandate might be flying around a bit in coming weeks. So resist, man, resist. Resist. That should be the title of this show. <laughs> the resistance program. Resistance against all, all the nonsense they're trying to throw at us. 
so we've uh, we've established the innocence of the former president of mm-hmm. the United States. How do you plead to lunging, sir? <laughs> Are you, or have you ever been a lunger? <laughs> we've established the complete idiocy and stupidity of the blockade Australia movement, and we've established that the um, dietary provisions at Surrey Hills Police Station are inadequate. <laughs> and we've we've also had compelling evidence that cheese is not <laughs> vegan. I think we'll all remember where we were when we first heard that. There we go. Nobody can accuse this show of just <laughs> recycling old tropes. We have new information, new facts every week here on the Six O'Clock's World. Tim, great to have you back again. I uh, Good news, I spoke to Fred Paul Lovely today. He said he will be ready to come back on the show in a couple of weeks. He needs a bit of a run-up, does he? Yeah? Yeah, I don't know what it is. He's got to get got to get his vocal cords tuned okay, up. Cool. Or get, get hair and makeup or something. But anyway, Fred, Fred will be back. So hopefully listeners won't just have to put up just with you and me burbling on for much longer. Absolutely. <laughs> Good to see you, Tim. You better get rugged up for that rain event. I'm going to lunge for the liquor cabinet. And we'll talk again next week, shall we? Cheers, mate. Every American and LBJ is with Australia all the way. Australia is the best place in the world to bring up a family. But we will decide who comes to this country and the circumstances in which they come. It wasn't many moons ago that they thought we were a bunch of rust diamonds down. <laughs> but you know, we've got more culture than a penicillin factory in Australia. <laughs> no worries. How good is Australia? Yeah!